0: welcome everybody thank you for tuning in to another episode of the all-in podcast i'm your host eli and i'm joined by my co-host mike badzik how's it going mike
1: hey Going good man. I uh, just just watched uh, Tom Brady hit the golf ball all around looking like me So I'm feeling confident that I could uh, do something as well as as Tom Brady. Yeah,
0: definitely hope so I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, or Currently are enjoying that match um, You know great opportunity for Tom Brady Peyton Manning uh, Phil and Tiger to have some fun play some golf um, during a tough time so uh, today, for those of you that tuned into our previous episode, uh, today we have a special episode where we're reviewing um, an older NBA game or uh, a previous NBA game that was played. And uh, the one we had decided to, uh, decided to start off with was Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals, arguably one of the best games in NBA history. Uh, One of the biggest shots in NBA history made by Kyrie Irving. We're gonna get into that, break all that stuff down. Um, Before we get into that, I just want to say when I went back and watched this, I couldn't believe that it's it's been almost four years since that game happened. Like time is just flying right by, Um, you know. So that made me feel a little bit old. Uh, But before we get into that, we're gonna talk about LeBron's legacy up to that point. Uh, We're going to get into the Warriors and uh, their dynasty and the impact Curry had. We're going to talk about the series up until that game, and then we'll get into the review of Game 7. So we'll just dive right in, and let's get into LeBron's legacy a little bit. Uh, You know, going into this series, I believe at that point in time, he was 3-4 and in the finals. Is that correct, Mike?
1: Two and four Two and four And this was his third right. yeah, yeah Two and man. four
0: Sorry So coming into this series He was two and four uh, In the finals And um, You know Really facing One of the tougher teams That he's played um, In the NBA finals The Cavs um, Obviously Coming back From a 2015 loss Where they didn't have Kyrie Irving Or Kevin Love um, And lost that series In six Even though LeBron put up Incredible numbers Wasn't super efficient um, and mm-hmm. Andre Iguodala took home Finals MVP for that twenty fifteen series uh, for his defensive play against LeBron. Apparently, uh, so what? Let's kind of talk about Mike, if you if you can. You know LeBron's legacy up until this point, um, and then even how this series um, shaped his legacy.
1: Yeah, but I think this is definitely. Um, his most important championship right for sure um, he didn't get the I mean he, he got credit but he didn't get the credit that he I don't think he expected for the heat championships um, similar to not to the same degree but kind of similar the way KD felt when when he went and got his two with Golden State I think both of them were expecting a little bit different of reactions um, you know when they when they got those rings. So to him for him to come home you know to Cleveland, and I think before this, Cleveland as a city hadn't won a championship. I don't know the exact year, but I think it was like nineteen forty something. Um, so for him to for him to do that is huge. So just looking at his legacy before this, it was kind of muddled, right? So you know, I think it starts his first real playoff success is is two thousand and seven. Um, obviously, the first time they made the finals, he got swept by the you know the Spurs. I don't think that. He really, they had a chance in that series, so I don't blame him for that. The big moment was the the Detroit twenty five straight points in the fourth quarter and overtime. So I think that game was really important for him, just kind of like you know launching him forward to where like he's going to be like, okay, well I'm the guy in these playoff games. And like you know, he had a game like you know he was young uh, for that game really because two thousand seven two thousand seven he was only I don't know 23. 23 years old so you think he's really just a kid doing that but that's like a thing too that we see in other guys um I was thinking about um Kobe had a game similar to that in the 2000 finals against Indiana um game four Shaq fouled out and then Kobe really stepped up and then that was kind of like the launching board for Kobe and then in the next two years he was amazing in the playoffs when they won and then obviously he had the career he had um so then after LeBron, you know, he... And then 2008, they lose to the Celtics. Then he goes to Miami. But even when he got to Miami, the first time they made the finals against Dallas, he did not play well. I mean, you know, Dallas was a really good team. Obviously, we, we've talked about their the roster they had and the way they were able to play before on this podcast. But LeBron could not figure them out. Like, and, and the team wasn't built perfect for figuring them out. Like, I think if they played that series in 2020, it'd probably be a lot different because Miami would probably be equipped with more shooters around LeBron, and because you know Dallas kind of just said let's pack the paint and play this little gimmicky matchup zone, and LeBron could not figure it out, which is a huge thing. You know, everyone reveres LeBron as this huge basketball IQ, and I think he is. Um, you know, even Popovich said he's the highest basketball IQ he's ever seen, but he could not figure that out. And he didn't really play well. And then even in the OKC series, he had games where he played really, really well. Game two, especially, um, you think of off the top of the head. But um, there were some games where it was kind of inconsistent, and D. Wade stepped up a lot in those finals. Um, So they beat OKC, so there were still the questions. And then 2013, when they beat the Spurs, that was kind of, you know, I don't want to say that they shouldn't have beat the Spurs, but I mean... It came down to Game Six. They needed a big shot from Ray Allen. I can't change history, but you know, if if the LeBron people say, well, 2015 they should have won if Kyrie and K Love don't get hurt, well, I would argue that 2013 maybe they shouldn't have won. So I think it evens out. Just looking as a whole, I think he probably has the right number of championships. Um, but then 2014 they just get their ass kicked by the Spurs. Uh, 2015 he plays great, but he didn't have like any. He didn't even in that entire run. Um, in the finals, he, he, he was never seen as a guy who was like, we know that he is going to come to play in the finals. We know that he is going to be the guy. 2015 was the first year where he kind of put it all on his man, uh, all on his shoulders. But like you said, it wasn't super efficient and they lost. I mean, we could say he played however well we wanted to, but if you don't win the games, it's, it's tough to, to argue. So coming into 2016 was the big, um, Question because he didn't have Kyrie, wasn't hurt anymore. K Love wasn't hurt anymore. Um, And and two, like, this is the only finals. There was this Cavs Warriors thing for, you know, obviously they play each other in the finals four straight years. But this is the only one where we had Kyrie versus Curry. Um, So I think LeBron's legacy coming into this was very much in question. Where I don't know, if he doesn't win this one, I don't think that we view him as number one or number two, or some people have him number three. Um, but I would say most people have him one or two. I don't think he's viewed in that way, at least not to the degree he is now. I think this was huge for him. And doing it for Cleveland is is big too, right? Like, So I was not living in Cleveland at the time. I do live in Northeast Ohio. Now I live in Akron, um, which is about 20 minutes down the road from Cleveland. And like you talk to the people here, and like it was huge. It meant a lot. Um, to, to win it, so I think coming into it, it was kind of a kind of a messy legacy he had going for him so far. Uh, this was a big one for him.
0: Yeah, agreed. He was um, his legacy was certainly in question. Um, I mean, and you know, coming into this two and four, and I think a lot of like you mentioned Miami. I think a lot of people felt that Miami didn't quite achieve what everyone had expected them to. Um, you know, in that four-year run that they mm-hmm. had, uh, Paul Pierce himself came out on social media the other day and said that they underachieved, and I think there's a given the expectations when they all originally signed in Miami. Yeah, they absolutely underachieved, but yeah, when you when you factor to their in,
1: own to their own um sorry to their own expectations, right? Yep. I mean, when they first signed and LeBron goes not two, not three, not four, not five, not six. Yeah, tough.
0: I mean, yep. So he, I mean, he put impossible standards on them. Even though, like, you can see it in his face, he doesn't actually mean that when he says it. Right? You know, he's trying to get fans riled up and things like that. And this is like young LeBron, so he didn't really know what he knows now. You'd probably never hear him speak in the same manner at that point. But like, I think he was just so excited to be playing with his best friend D Wade and Chris Bosh. Like, he had never played with this level of talent before. So. You know, I think it was an exciting opportunity for him to, you know, finally get the monkey off his back. And then you have that, that first Dallas series, because um, he spent that, like, you know, he's he said himself, he spent that entire year being a villain because so many people had such a huge issue with his decision to go to Miami and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he spent that entire first year being a villain, got to the finals, and, like you said, Dallas, you know, won that series pretty handedly. Um, and probably did the best job on LeBron of any team in the postseason ever um, has done on him, even the Spurs in 2007. So, you know, it was, I think that was humbling for him, that Dallas series, um, for sure. And kind of like, just because you kind of taught him, just because you're playing with talent, doesn't necessarily mean that it automatically wins you championships. I think Mm -hmm. it also taught the heat. How they have to structure their team around LeBron, like you mentioned. Um, after that, they they kind of changed how they played, uh, as far and also you know went and got like a Shane Battier. They ended up getting Ray Allen uh, eventually. You know what I mean? Then mm-hmm. started to surround him with better shooters and like three and D guys. They kind of slid Chris Bosh to the five and turned him into more of a stretch big man, kind of you know he at which he kind of revolutionized that position and that role. Um, which I don't think he gets enough credit for because he was also still a solid rim protector on the other end.
1: So yeah, he was, and that was to expose actually. That was his big thing after they lost to Dallas. He was like, "I should have just took the center off the court and played Bosch at five and try to spread him out." But and then they did go four, like you said,
0: right? And you know, because not only and not only was he a good rim protector, like Bosch could switch on to guards and hold his own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He wasn't. Don't get me wrong. He's not like the best perimeter defender. Of uh, any big man ever, but he's up there. Like he did it; he yeah. was very good at at switching on the guards and holding his own. Um, you know, at times, so uh, that changed not only the dynamic of their offense but also their defense because it it gave them the ability to switch more. Uh, so, you know, that was a big changing point. Then you have you know the lockout year; they get a a young OKC team beats the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals after they went down two zero. And then, like, James Harden and KD and Russell Westbrook just got hot for four street games and, and probably made a finals that they didn't truly deserve to be in. Um, mm-hmm. And this is something that we talked about on the last episode, right? A lockout season kind of favors young players. So I think yeah. with the Spurs having to play all those condensed games, I think they kind of ran out of gas in that Western Conference Finals. Um, and then OKC, you know, with their with their youth, their best players just got hot. Um, and really, they they had a super talented team. So... You know, they for four games those those talented players get hot like that. There isn't much that you can do. Or three players, I'm sorry, get hot like that. There's not much you can do. Uh, but then, honestly, when it got to the finals, uh, they were clearly overmatched. I think the Heat were by far the better team. They had the more experience. Mm-hmm. They had the more talent. They had the better fit because they had you know figured some things out. Um, and I think that was that was kind of an easy easy ring for LeBron. Not that any championship is easy, uh, but that specific final series was pretty, you know, easy for them. They ended up winning it at yeah. five, I believe. And
1: yeah, well, even when, okay, C1 game One, I don't, but even when they did that, I think everyone still was like, well, they, I don't think that they're experienced enough to actually close this out. The only the only thing at the time was, well, we'll see, can LeBron get it done? But, exactly. But you know, he proved he could, yeah. Right.
0: So, yeah, so he finally got the ring. He got the monkey off his back. Because um, at the end of the day, like, no matter, like, what people say, the rings matter. Like, people will always factor that in. They're never going to put you, like, legacy-wise, it's always going to impact where you get ranked and things like that. So he had to get it. Any, by any means necessary, you have to get the ring. And that's unfortunate that, you know what I mean, that it's how it, that's how we view players, but that's just how it is. Um, so he finally gets his first. And then, you know, that, se- that second championship... You can, you can certainly make an argument. I mean, they were rolling out the, the trophy for the Spurs on the Heat's floor before LeBron knocked down two huge threes, which is something that gets lost a lot because of Ray mm-hmm. Allen's shot. But LeBron knocked down two huge threes that put them in that position. And we, they all, people don't, also don't talk about the, the free throws the Spurs missed that should have iced that game. One of those players missing those free throws was a young Kawhi Leonard, went up to to the foul line a few times late in that game and went one for two and every you know in close games every free throw you miss you know allows that team to stay alive in some way shape or form, and then they just the heat hit every big shot that they absolutely needed to at the end of that game six yeah uh, and then went on to win in overtime, which I think pretty much everyone expected after what Ray Allen did at the end of the mm-hmm. at the fourth. Because that's so draining, right from a, as, as the team that was leading and giving up three straight threes on those last like few possessions, that's that's just draining. When you know you had the game and you had the game in the bag, all you had to do essentially was make free throws or get a couple of stops and you couldn't do it. So certainly draining they had almost no chance in overtime. and then game seven, uh, you leave the door open for the heat uh, game seven at home. And that game seven that they played in um, is also not talked about enough because of Ray Allen's, you know, shot in Game Six. They, the Heat, still had to go win another basketball game. They still had to, you know, beat that team again. And it was back and forth. That game set, as all game sevens, you know, at that level normally are, back and forth. And LeBron was incredible in that Game Seven. Like, I don't think we talk about that enough when it comes to his legacy. He he made as many big shots as you possibly can. Like, I think we really saw him become like officially a clutch player in that you know series and in that game. Um, Even though he had made big shots before that, like I think this was kind of his you know his Kobe or Jordan moment. uh, Was the way he played down the stretch in that Game Seven, Um, and a lot of people also. Forget about that missed jump hook. Tim Duncan had an opportunity to hit late in the stretch. Um, that yeah. kind of cost him that game. So, you know, those are uh, some key things that happened in that Game 7. But the Heat pulled off one of the, you know, greatest comebacks, I would say, in in NBA Finals history with that, you know, with that Game 6 comeback and that Game 7 win. Um, and but a lot of people feel like they really didn't deserve that title, and that the Spurs just failed to close it out. But mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you got You have to. It's, if the you can't blame LeBron and the Heat for not winning that series. You can't give all the credit to Ray Allen because he's not even in that situation. If LeBron doesn't hit two threes, and you know, you got to put a little blame on the Spurs. It's your job to close teams out. And you got to do it. Um, and then the Spurs clearly came back with a vengeance after that. Um, and the Heat lost in five, you know, the following season by a record margin. And I think that right there was the biggest dent to his legacy because there were people that felt that, like, the Spurs just kind of blew it and that the Heat really didn't deserve that title. And I think them mm. lose not only losing, but, like, losing by a record margin, like the Spurs basically just, you know, put their foot on their necks, and it was over. And... I think a lot of people kind of saw that as validation, you know, like the spurt, you know, yeah, like LeBron really she should only have 13, one, right? Yeah. Right, you know, so it is what it is. Um, and, and I think that was really, that really did hurt his legacy. Uh, but you also have to factor in like D. Wade's decline was, I don't think anyone quick. really it anticipated quick. that. It was probably yeah. one of the like fastest declines that we've ever seen uh, from a player. And he did have one more bounce back year, and, and was able to still be like effective for a couple of years after that. But he was never he was never the flash again, you know. What I mean, after that season, so you know, did they really even have a chance with the way that D Wade was playing? You know, that wasn't the same D Wade that was there in twenty thirteen. So a little bit unfair, but again, kind of how his legacy was shaping at that point. Um, so obviously, he leaves the Heat um, and. Cleveland, who already has Kyrie Irving and a few other assets, makes a great trade for Kevin Love. Um, and then LeBron returns back to Cleveland uh, with two chips um, and looking to get one for Cleveland. Um, and I was I was shocked when he went back. I, w- I didn't really know, going into that free agent, I remember that summer, um, I thought he was going to go back to the Heat simply because I just didn't really see what other options there were. And the reason I didn't ever think he would go back to Cleveland was because of that, um, because of that letter from their owner. Yeah, the owner,
1: yeah, Dan Gilbert, yeah. Dan Gilbert, yes. Uh, you know,
0: and I was, me. I'm thinking, like, from a personal standpoint, how could you ever go back and play for someone mm-hmm. who said, you know, those kind of things about you? And, you know, he was, he was the bigger man. He went back. He, uh, you know, felt he had a responsibility to his home state, so he went back. And, you know, 2015 was unfortunate uh, with, you know, not really so much, like, obviously it's unfortunate that Kevin Love went down, but, like, Kevin Love, I don't think was essential for them to beat the Warriors. I think Kyrie was in order for them to beat the Warriors. Like, they could they could have won that series with, Kay, with Kyrie and LeBron without Kevin Love. Obviously, he helped. But um, the biggest thing was the Kyrie injury. And so, you know, they lose in 2015. He does everything he possibly can to, you know, win that series for them. But uh, it just, you know, they didn't, they clearly didn't have enough talent uh, against the Warriors team that was like extremely good. And not just from, you know, their talent perspective, but just from their depth, you know, their basketball IQ as a team, Steve Kerr implemented mm-hmm. that motion offense that they run to get, you know, Curry and, and Clay Thompson better threes and things like that. Um, so you saw the the shift and the change in their offense. That was the first season that Draymond Green started. Um, so out of no, not, out, not really out of nowhere, because the Warriors had been coming up, but like Steve Kerr kind of thrusted this Warriors team into championship caliber when right. they were kind of, they were struggling to get out of this, They never got out of the second round, you know, with Mark Jackson. And so, I, I'm
1: glad you bring that up because I, I cannot stand when I see people on Twitter a lot say Mark Jackson got robbed the opportunity to win those those should have been Mark J- Jackson's championships with Golden State maybe but he, I don't think they would win with Mark Jackson the way Mark Jackson was coaching them I don't think that they would I wouldn't think they would have got any of those championships
0: no they would and uh, and if you when it happened when Mark Jackson got fired I thought it was criminal I thought it was the worst thing in the world uh, and I, it didn't I make any, it didn't make any sense to me because they were up and coming. Um, but when you when you look at the changes that Steve Kerr made to that team, they were astronomical. They he started bringing Andre Iguodala off the bench. Remember, Andre Iguodala came off the bench mm-hmm. in 2015. That entire year until the middle of that first fu- until the middle of that final series, Draymond Green was not a starter before that. He became a starter and and put. Draymond Green into the lineup and they completely changed the look of their offense. If you go back and watch like the Mark Jackson area warriors and Draymond Green even said this himself on the all the smoke podcasts. But Draymond Green said that their offense dramatically changed. It was less about high pick and rolls and much more about ball movement, player movement, Mm -hmm. setting screens and getting that movement without the ball. They played at a faster pace as well. You know, getting up and down the floor more. And defensively, uh, I don't think people give Steve Kerr enough credit for the changes that he made. Because putting Draymond into that starting lineup made them more versatile defensively. Remember, they were they had mm-hmm. David Lee. So really, they could only switch one through three out top. And then you had David Lee and Bogut. Those guys can't switch on the guard. But now mm-hmm. you place Draymond Green and you bring David Lee off the bench. Uh, you know, one, you're, you bring in an inside scoring presence off your bench. And two, on your starting lineup, you get a guy who can facilitate, and you can kind of run the offense through while Curry and Clay are running off these screens, you know, to get open. Draymond Green is strong enough with the ball to you know hold it out top. Plus, he sets great screens, things like that. It was just such a dramatic change um, that Curry and Clay efficiency like shot through the roof when Steve Kerr got there because the play and style was better.
1: That's one of the big, you know, what-ifs when you talk as we kind of transition our conversation to the to the Warriors sir. That's one of the huge what-ifs, right? Because Steve Kerr, I don't know if you remember this, he was going to take that Knicks job. Mm-hmm. He was basically lined up. He was going to be the Knicks coach. And I think if um, – I, I I've heard that the way it was going to play out is if he takes the Knicks, Knicks job, then Stan Van Gundy is going to be the guy to take the Warriors job. Mm-hmm. Huge, great decision by Steve Kerr. Just, yeah, you know, all around, you you did a great thing there. Do not go to the Knicks. Go to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson.
0: And honestly, like the only thing that really would have brought him to the Knicks was Phil. Right? Remember, Phil was looking for someone to come in and run the mm-hmm. triangle for the Knicks. And I think Steve Kerr, as close as he was to it, I think he kind of like reevaluated, and he was like, "Well, okay, well, look at today's NBA." is the triangle really going to be effective? Is that something that's still going to work? Plus, this Warriors team has a really good, a much better roster than the Knicks had uh, at the time, even though they had the bigger star in Carmelo Anthony. You know, I think he was a bigger star than Curry was at that time. Yeah. And, but if if you really look at the roster structure, like the Warriors were already deep and talented. He just, I think... He's a little bit of a visionary because he kind of saw where the NBA was trending. He's like, I could go to the Knicks and run the triangle and probably never win anything. Or I could take what pop taught me as far as ball movement and player movement goes, Mm -hmm. apply it to these guys. And, you know, you obviously you see what happened. So, and I think he leveraged the Knicks offer a little bit to get him the Warriors job. So, I mean, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. I think Golden State, um, unfortunately, Mark Jackson was sacrificed, but you know if and if Steve Kerr doesn't, you know, work out, I think we look at that conversation a lot differently. But it was it was clear and obvious that Steve Kerr completely shifted the um, the trajectory of that franchise. In my opinion, they don't ever get out of the West without Steve Kerr because they just they weren't playing the right style of basketball to uh, to maximize Steph and Clay's you know, best
1: abilities. I agree 100%. Um, and even, you know, like Steve Kerr, I think Steve Kerr is a really, really good coach. Um, you know, the, the people that push back say, well, when Steve Kerr got sick and he couldn't coach for however long and Luke Walton was the coach, they had the same record and they were doing the same stuff. But, you know, he was running all of Steve Kerr's stuff with you know Steve Kerr's system and the, the guy the system that Steve Kerr implemented with the same guys I think if you look at Luke Walton what he's done since um I don't think that he is you know on the same planet as Steve Kerr from a from a coaching perspective the the Warriors are really interesting you're right they kind of they had one year they made the second round I think, yeah you're right about Mark Jackson they made the second round but then the next year they just kind of took off um and Curry got the the back-to-back MVPs, two of the best seasons we've seen really in NBA history, um, back-to-back, and they changed basketball, right? This is the way that teams are going now. And even even the threes, you know, teams are obviously doing that, but what teams can't emulate that they do and they've done is, is the movement with the threes. And it helps too when you have Steph and Clay who are Two of the three or four best shooters of all time, I would say probably one and two, honestly. Um, and Clay's defense, just that's what separates Clay as well. His defense is elite. When he was healthy, he was a first or second team all defense guy. Um, so the Warriors and and you know they they had some help going through the playoffs with some injuries to other teams, but I don't know that even if those injuries didn't happen, I think they still would have won. They were just better than teams. Um, You know, look at them in the regular season. Teams could not play with those guys. They would run them out of the gym because they just played a different style than everybody else, and it worked uh, better than everybody else did. I think um, Curry, so Curry won MVP in 14 15 and 15 16, which fuels this Cavs Warriors rivalry, right? Because I think the I think the LeBron Curry thing is legit. I, I think there is some animosity there, at least some resentfulness. Maybe not as much anymore, that they haven't gone against each other in the finals in two years. But like you could see, like there was moments really throughout all of the four years that they played each other. But especially in this Game Seven, uh, I was uh, as I, w- I watched it today, there was one, you know, Curry made a good move and he tried to do his little flick layup uh, floater thing and LeBron just sent it and he looked at him and they were jawing and um you know and LeBron feels like I think that he you know LeBron I think has this attitude and his fans also I think have this attitude that well LeBron should be the MVP every year he's been in the league that's probably you know maybe a couple more he could I mean he, would, he did win it four times, which is a lot. Um, you know, maybe a couple more he, he should have won too. Um, 15, I think he definitely thought that he deserved it though. because you know 16 two, I guess, but 15 was the or you know the David Blatt season where LeBron pretty much felt like he was coaching the team. Um, He made a lot of these moves to get them where they were. You know, He hasn't had to do this with the Lakers as much. I mean, they did make the big trade for, for Davis, but when he was with the Cavs, everyone around the league was like, LeBron is the GM, LeBron is the head coach. I mean, that was the conversation surrounding LeBron all the time was LeBron is the head coach, LeBron is the GM, it's LeBron's team. I don't think it's to that degree anymore in L.A., Um, certainly not coaching anymore. I think he's allowed Vogel to kind of step in and and have a say and even GM, like, yeah, he pushed for the Davis trade, but of course he pushed for the Davis trade. That's, that's an obvious trade, right? But in Cleveland, he was doing all of the, all of the moves, you know, picking up Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry and, you know, Derek Rose for, for a little bit there. He pulled D Wade to come play with him. All of the little moves, I think he was pulling the strings on. Um, and that, and that maybe is part of the reason that he was okay with going back to Cleveland, despite Dan Gilbert's letter is he knew if he went back, he would have huge say over the organization. He would have pretty much total anatomy of, um, the roster and, and how he could build it around him. And he did a really good job, not to mention, but it did take a toll on him. I should say like 15, his stats did take a, did take a bit of a dip for him. For the average player in the NBA, they were still amazing. For him, they took a bit of a dip. So I think Curry deserved his MVP, both of them. Um, but I think that's definitely, definitely real. Did you get that vibe that it was definitely real throughout watching, I mean, re-watching and watching it when it happened?
0: Yeah, um, there was, I think there was a lot of people that were like, um, with Curry kind of like shooting into like superstar status, like a lot of people uh and LeBron fans were threatened by Curry and they probably won't ever admit it, but they absolutely were like he, he came in, he won back-to-back MVPs. Um, you know, we talked about the 2015 MVP, you know, James, remember James Harden was the guy that most people were debating on whether Curry should have won that, yeah that regular season MVP because James Harden had the better numbers, but the Warriors won 67 games. Uh And then in 2016, it was no, it was there was no question. It, yeah. You know, Curry and the and the Warriors were seventy three and nine. He averaged thirty a game, uh, and was barely even playing fourth quarters that season. Like they were, they were. It wasn't even close. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean. It was to the point where and and they had already won a title. You know, going into that twenty sixteen season, um, and I there was a, there was legitimate fear uh, that Stephen Curry, you know, out of nowhere was going to be the best player in the league. With the run that his team was having up until you know the up until that 2016 finals, like even after the OKC series, they went down three one, and then him and Clay went berserk for three straight games, right? Uh, you know, uh, and and come back and win that series. And I think like there was there was a ton of fear of the Warriors at that point that this team was building an incredible dynasty led by Steph Curry, uh, and I think like. I can't really even imagine how much different the NBA would look right now if they had actually won that series in 2016. Because KD probably doesn't come to Golden State. Yeah, that's exactly...
1: It, I, I was going to bring up some hypotheticals towards the end, but that's the big one, right? I don't think KD comes to Golden State if they beat Cleveland in 2016. It
0: just it wouldn't make sense for them to even call him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to be honest, it might have sort of been a blessing in disguise for them because if we remember this 2016 series harrison barnes was awful Awful. he was he was bad and he was hitting free agency as a restricted Mm -hmm. free agent so they had to make a decision like harrison barnes was a solid player you know an, an above average player for them and you know on both ends of the floor but at going into that offseason you had to make a decision because he was certainly going to demand a, a max at that time, which was like twenty million a year, which is what he got an offer sheet from the Mavs for twenty million a year, uh, you know, for that the Warriors had to make a decision on. So at that point it was like, All right, well, do we re sign Harrison Barnes to twenty million a year for the next three, you know, or four years, and we're stuck with that contract? mind you we gotta pay Curry in a couple of years, we gotta pay Clay, we're gonna have to pay Draymond. You know what I mean? These are these are all things that we're gonna have to worry about eventually down the road. Plus mm-hmm. we're also gonna have Harrison Barnes at twenty million. Is he even worth that? And I think Harrison Barnes flat out showed after he left that he wasn't. You know what I mean? He his he hit it. Uh, I mean his numbers were better, but he was never actually that guy, You know what I mean? He was always, like, the fourth best player on a really good team. Yep. So, you know, but if they win in 2016, they probably match that offer and get stuck with that contract. And instead of getting, you know, instead of bringing KD in for those, you know, I think he was only, like, $5 million more than what Harrison Barnes was at the time, you know, because obviously OKC could have given him more, but the Warriors couldn't. Right. So, you know, he, he took a, a little bit of a discount. And so you're like, when you look at the shape of the roster, did the Warriors really even have a choice? You know, after losing in the finals, you're like, dude, this guy can make us invincible, and he's only going to cost a few more, couple more million than what Harrison Barnes would be. That's a no-brainer at that point, coming you off of the loss. Yeah. But coming off a win, eh, you might have to reward Harrison Barnes if he right. if you're coming off a win. You know what I mean? So like that could have really dramatically changed the um you know the the look of the league kd probably doesn't go back to okc but like who knows where he would have landed then
1: yeah probably you know I mean? there's i think uh maybe boston maybe yep. maybe new york right yeah i think he would go east probably though
0: yeah certainly and you know how's his legacy look yeah w- if he goes with those teams and things like that so that could have dramatically this this 2016 series had a huge impact on the NBA that, like, goes beyond just LeBron's legacy, Steph Curry's legacy, the Warriors' legacy. It impacts KD's legacy. It impacts Harrison Barnes' career. You know what I mean? Like, so many different dominoes fell after that. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of teams, when they they saw KD sign to the Warriors, were kind of like, all right, well, we shouldn't even really try to compete now because – We're not ever beating the Warriors, let alone the Cavs, you know what I mean? Or let alone, you know, the Rockets, who were also, you know, still good at the time. The Rockets decided to still compete. But a lot of, I think that was the biggest, like, disparity in the league when KD signed with the Warriors, because teams kind of went in either two directions, because no one one wanted to be in the middle.
1: The Clippers tore Lob City apart. They had Lob City, they built it, and I think they really liked their chances, and then you know, Golden State, two years in a row, like kicked their ass, and they were like, "Well, we can't beat these guys, so let's tear it apart." Right,
0: and um, and I think the Clippers did it the best way though because they've re- they've rebounded quickly. Mm-hmm. They traded those guys, but they didn't trade them for like young players and draft picks. They traded them for like quality role players. Yeah, you know, Lou They got Lou Will, um, Patrick Beverly, like guys that are now currently helping their team, and then you know they. They kind of shape their roster to, you know, support and and kind of go to Kawhi and Paul George and say, hey, you guys come here. We have the pieces you need to win a championship. You guys put us over the top. But you know what I mean. And that, but that all trickles down back to this 2016 series because, you know, who knows if the Clippers can if if they blow it up if KD doesn't end up signing with the Warriors after this loss. So, I mean. I think that, you know, that series had such a dramatic shift uh, in, yeah. in the yeah. NBA's, like, and landscape.
1: the other hypothetical, I guess, that would even go along with that is, like, okay, well, if the Warriors win, and I think the Warriors really, you know, we're going to go through the series game, kind of, you know, what led to Game 7, but obviously the Draymond suspension was, was a big thing, right? So I think if Draymond doesn't get suspended, then you have Game 5 in Golden State, Game 6 in Cleveland. Game seven uh, back in the bat. I You know, whatever. I think it's tough for the Warriors to lose all three of those with Draymond, two of those at home with Draymond, but they might have. But regardless, so let's say that they win and KD says, you know what? I don't care that they just won. I need to go there because I need to get championships so that I can be viewed this way. I don't care if they just won. I still want to be viewed that way. Golden State says, you know what? We just won, but there's no way KD is not an upgrade from Harrison Barnes. Fuck it, let's do it. They signed KD still. So then, I don't, so then, you know, they play out the same way. At what point does LeBron just say, this isn't happening, Cleveland? Like, does he ever go to the Lakers if he never wins in Cleveland? Or does he eventually just say, I tried my best? It's not happening, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and. Honestly, I think you're right. I like. I don't think he ever goes to the Lakers. Um, he. I think it's more likely that like he stays in Cleveland until the end of his career, possibly, and, and like just keeps trying at it. Or he goes like, or he does go to the Lakers. You know, after a few years of, of failing in Cleveland and maybe trying to build something there. Yeah. Because um, again, Cleveland was locked up into some bad contracts themselves, like mm-hmm. Tristan Thompson. You know, J.R. Smith. Not that I mean, but they're bad contracts now, yeah. but, like, at the time, guys, you got to pay guys when they win. Right, exactly. Kevin Love, mm-hmm. they're still locked into. So, like, guys that won a championship and that, you know, you have to end up, you have to reward them, you know, with with larger than normal contracts than what they might have won had you not won a championship. So, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's crazy how, how much, how many different ways the league could have been shaped um, by that, you know, by this series. So let's talk about this series a little bit, yep. um, and you know, game by game. Uh, and I'll start because the the one thing I want to like point out is when you actually go back and like look at this series, it was an ugly series. It was like the Golden State blew them out in the first two games, and Clay Thompson and Curry were not good in the first two games. Like, I the it was clear, you know. Uh, remember, and I remember watching those games. Like the Cleveland's, like main goal was to not let Curry and Clay do anything. So, and they were getting destroyed on slips uh, and and things like that because they were so focused on keeping Curry and Clay from even catching the ball and getting shots off. So, all those guys did was continue to run off their screens. And like for both of those first two games, there were so many like miscommunications that happened uh, from the Cavs on defense. Where they were, the Warriors were just getting easy layups. Like game one, uh, Sean Livingston had was game high, I believe, for the for the Warriors at twenty. He had twenty in that game, yeah, which was off the bench. Yeah, he had the game high, and then Andre Iguodala had twelve, Barbosa had eleven, Draymond had sixteen, Harrison Barnes had thirteen, Bogut had ten. And then you had Steph and Clay had eleven and nine, mm. so like they completely took those two guys out of the game, but everybody else ate, you know. And that yeah. was kind of the same thing that happened in game two. They 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 hadn't changed their philosophy, and again it was another blowout, even uglier I was than game they one. They kicked was. the shit
1: out of them in game two.
0: And again, Steph and Clay were not good, eighteen and seventeen, uh, but they were plus twenty three and plus twenty five, like mm-hmm. in, in plus minus. So you know, they essentially kept doing the same thing. They said, all right, well, we'll just, you know, we'll run off these screens and we'll let everybody else eat. And everybody that checked in had five or more points, but two, but three guys. So, you know what I mean? Like that kind of contribution was destroying the Cavs. Um, and then things changed a little bit, went back in the Cavs' favor. They won by 30 in game three. Um, and I think it's because, you know, they kind of, again, Stephen. Well, Clay wasn't great, but Steph had 19. Uh, but I think offensively, uh, the the Cavs started to figure out the Warriors' defense as well because that's something you know that flew under the radar is that the, the Cavs just struggled offensively in those first two games, um, and then LeBron and Kyrie went for 32 and 30 themselves, brought it back to two one, um, and then game five it went right back to you know the same trend that we were seeing, which was. The Warriors were the better team, and they won by 11. So, like, four games into the series, Warriors up 3-1. We didn't have a game that was decided by less than du- – double. this was the closest game, was 11 points. There was no game yeah. that was under double digits. And, like, if you really go back to that, like, before, you know, Game 6 and Game 7 happened uh, – or, I'm sorry, Game 5, 6, and 7 happened, like, I don't think anyone thought the Cavs had a shot after this Game 4 – before before Draymond got suspended, no, they were dead in the water at this point in time yeah. uh, because well, it was such an ugly it was such an ugly series.
1: I don't know if you've ever heard this before. A uh, little little secret that I that I know I don't know if a lot of people know. No team ever came back from a three one deficit in the NBA Finals. I don't know if have you ever heard that actually? Uh, <laughs> the Warriors the would be living that one forever. So <laughs> that's a new one. Yeah. I have not. Yeah, see, see. <laughs> <laughs> So
0: yeah, I mean, you know, at that point in the series, um, you know, it was it was all trending towards Golden State. Cavs had only scored in a hundred once in the whole series, and that was the game that they won. Um so not only was Golden State kinda of running a clinic on them offensively, uh defensively, they were shutting the Cavs down. And at the end of game four, Draymond probably makes the biggest mistake of his career. Um, and, and honestly, when you think about it, he probably shouldn't have been suspended for that. Well, Cause yeah, good. For that specific incident, I don't think he should have been suspended. But at that point in time, you now have to, because remember, he had the incident with Stephen Adams, the series before, mm-hmm. that he, that was clear, that was much clearer than this one, or much worse than this one, where they didn't suspend him. And I think it was because they didn't want to dramatically impact that series but then in the finals, it's, there was so much fan backlash, I think they had no choice. Well, it's and, like, okay, twice this guy's gone after a bad error. Yeah,
1: and he reached his flagrant foul limit for the playoffs, right? Like, right. He, he, like, that's the thing. I think that kind of gets mixed up um, sometimes when we look mm-hmm. back. We're like, well, they helped the Cavs because they suspended Draymond. Well, they didn't, they didn't actually suspend him for the nut punch or whatever, nut kick. He, they didn't suspend right. him for that they gave him a flagrant one for that which i don't know i, I think that warrants a flagrant foul well Maybe. it wasn't called it wasn't, it wasn't called, called game right, right, right.
0: and really wasn't even highlighted until we saw the video that happened afterwards mm-hmm. and he didn't really get like a, he didn't really get a legitimate punch on him like he caught, he went in that area and he, and he, he you can tell he, he held back but like LeBron did step over him, which is like ever since AI did that to Ty Lu, everyone True. who knows basketball at all knows that's like ultimate disrespect. Yep. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's as disrespectful as you could possibly get. So like and and maybe it was a little bit of a chess move by LeBron, you know what I mean? Knowing that knew, Draymond. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? That Draymond was on the brink of, of suspension. And then at that point, I think the league like upgraded him to a year one because if they if they had let him get away with that then it would have it would have looked really bad on the league. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like oh this this guy can do whatever he wants, the league's favor in the Warriors cuz now that's that's two series in a row where he's gone near, you know, the manhood. So like and and you can't continue to allow that to happen. Regardless if it warranted it or not, it's still stupid. Right. It was it was incredibly dumb. And it's like I I don't even know if I'm and I know Draymond like plays with, like, the most, one of the, he's one of the most passionate players in the league. He's a hothead. Like, we all know that. And But just me personally, like, I was a bit of a hothead as a player myself. But never would I ever in that, like, in this magnitude of a series, let someone get to me in that manner. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, like, you almost have to be a pushover when it comes to that kind of stuff because you cannot jeopardize the ultimate goal of your team, by trying to be a tough guy, you know what I mean? Or trying to, like, demand respect, like, you know what I mean? Like, so, LeBron stepped over you. Yes, yeah, disrespectful, but, like, there's... At this point in time, you have to let that... And knowing that you're one flagrant foul or one, like, incident away from, from being suspended, you have to let that go. Yeah.
1: And he views himself so, as an important player, too. Like, you know, it's one thing if you're the eighth and ninth guy off the bench... And you think that you've been disrespected, and you're like, whatever, I'm going to try to get in this guy's head. But, I mean, Draymond was important in this series, and getting suspended is – or not even getting suspended, but putting yourself in an opportunity to give them a reason to suspend you is boneheaded enough. And I don't think he has any excuse.
0: And really, he was on pace to win finals MVP if i think if you if you go back because of how bad clay and steph were we're going
1: to talk about game seven he ball it's probably his best game ever
0: yeah easily i mean and and because of how the team was playing like he was his assist and his assist numbers were super high because he was hitting guys on like a ton of slips you know and all those things so like he was they were running he was holding the ball up top watching these guys come off screens and then hitting them on these backdoor slips. So his assist number were high. He was scoring more because of his own, like, sl- slipping screens and getting easy layups yeah. and stuff like that. Like, it was... He was their best... He was destined to get that finals MVP had they won this series. Like, even if they had won it in seven, he was getting it. But especially at this point, he was on pace to get finals MVP because of how the other stars on his team had played. And then, you know, that incident just... it. I think it, it gave the Cavs life, mm-hmm. and I don't think anybody can really say that it didn't. And and granted, I get it. He had two games to come back and rebound from it, but like once you give a team with like LeBron and, and you know and Kyrie's type of talents, like once you give them life and you give them confidence, everything that you did prior to that goes out of the window. You know what I mean? So and you know, game five, they both went for Kyrie and LeBron went for forty. And, you know, who knows if that happens be- when because now Draymond's rim protection is no longer there anymore. Um, and Bogut in Game 5 had played, I believe, 10 minutes. Well, Bogut
1: got hurt in Game 5, too. And right, seven, and Bogut plays seven and a half. He ended up playing seven and a half minutes because he got hurt. And then he got hurt. And actually... Um, I think that was a huge injury, too, because Bogut actually was yep. pretty solid for them. I mean, he, he wasn't – he obviously, offensively, he wasn't much of anything. But, you know, he could clean up stuff when you needed him to and roll to the hoop. Defensively, he gave a lot inside, though. And that's very needed against LeBron, who loves to just go straight to the hoop. You know, Bogut was not afraid to get physical with him. And then right. Kyrie – Who loves getting to the hoop he's such a creative finisher but bogut was a guy who you know he's seven feet tall it's tough to finish around a guy like that so i think that was a big injury because then you have festus azili who's playing a lot of these big minutes down the stretch and he Mm -hmm. he played and we're going to talk to all about this in game seven but he played really bad i think in game seven i think he was probably you know he had the worst performance out of anybody but but before we um move on from game five though just do you think that the Warriors would have won if Draymond doesn't get suspended?
0: I do. Uh I, I mean honestly there was there was no hope for them. I think their spirits were broken. Uh they were they were back in Golden State on their home floor. Um you know and honestly like when you you factor in the Draymond suspension and then you also factor in like Bogut's Not only did... So, then you factor in Bogut's injury. That's your two... That's, like, your two main rim protectors, other than, like, Azealy, who, you know, was playing hardly at all for them before this, Mm -hmm. uh, in that series. You know, those... But the two main rim protectors that you have to stop, like, Kyrie and LeBron from getting, like, easy baskets in the paint are now gone. So... And now they're, you know, game five. I think, like, without... Without Draymond, and then you combine that with Bogut, like yeah, the Warriors, the Warriors were in trouble. Like they had no chance at winning Game Five without those two guys because you know things just just the the paint just like opened up for them. You know LeBron and Kyrie to get into the to the paint and, and score at will. So and it showed they both scored forty points. Like there's insane. You know what I mean? That's 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 a dramatic change there because there's two. Those are two huge defensive keys that they have. And then even when you look at it offensively, like those are your two biggest screen setters, so you're not even really creating the same dynamic that you have offensively as far as like getting clay and getting Steph open, because those guys aren't you know setting the same solid screens that force those miscommunications on defense. So you know like granted, like those guys aren't big number, they they aren't guys that put up big numbers, but they have a big they had a big impact on this Warriors team. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I think it was I think it for sure it was over in five if Draymond doesn't get suspended, um and I think so too, you know, and you just because I, I just don't think I don't think you can give players of of Kyrie and LeBron's caliber any kind of momentum, and then you know you never I don't think Bogut ever came back, no he didn't, you know in that in that series so, you know it was just that was a tough. You know, the only for State. the only
1: I probably agree that I think that having Draymond in game five and then two of those games are in the bay I think that it would have been much much harder I think the only the only really argument is that you know LeBron was on a freaking mission like game game five 41 16 and seven so and then you know game six he dropped 41 again 41 11 and eight and then of course you know game seven um, so that would be the, the thing. It, the argument would be, well, LeBron was on a mission. It don't, it didn't matter who was on the court. Um, but, yeah. So, so then Bogey gets hurt. And then Game 6, um, Cavs win at, at home. LeBron, like I said, 41-11-8. Um, Curry, this was Curry's probably best game in the series, right? He dropped 30. Yeah. Game 5 yeah. was Clay's best game in the series. He had 37. But then... Uh, Curry had 30 in Game Six, um, six threes, but Cleveland played better. LeBron had you know the 18 straight points um, to but to start the fourth quarter. Um, that was like one of his signature moments. And then this was kind of the first where we saw like the Cavs where it seemed like maybe they were going to do this.
0: Yeah. Well, and they they felt it after Game Five because um, if you remember um, that you know clip of LeBron in the locker room yep. afterwards in that little um, you know docu series that he had um, he, after the Game Five win, he was like, "Yo, we can feel them breaking." So yeah, they they and fucked think, up now. Yeah, like they 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 and they did because now you know Game Five at home should, was I think was a must win for the Warriors because. Uh, and without Draymond, I think it did. It put a lot of doubt in their mind. Like, because now you closed it to game, you closed it to 3 2. That that doesn't sound as good as 3 1. And you're going back on the road for game six. And you also know that these guys now have the momentum coming off that when going back to their home floor. So, yeah, I think doubt started to creep in for Golden State. Uh, and, you know, like you said, game six comes and, you know, Cleveland won it pretty handily. Uh, definitely Curry's best game of the series, um, but I think we also saw like I think we saw Harrison Barnes like collapsing yeah. at this point. Like he was 0 for eight in 16 minutes, um, yeah. and and in those games like he had good open looks he and he just couldn't he couldn't hit anything. Um, Sean Livingston had compl- had clearly regressed at this point, one for six uh, in in game six, so they weren't getting quite the same production out of him either. <laughs> you know, from an offensive standpoint. Um, So, you know, a lot of that, what was really, a lot of the things that were really helping them was like the depth that the Warriors had and, you know, getting contributions from guys that weren't Steph and Clyde. And then game, game six, they didn't get any contribution from really anyone outside of those two. Barbosa was good off the bench and had 14. Other than that, no one else was in double, wasn't double figures. And then you give up monster games to, uh, you you give up a monster game to LeBron who had 41 um, and, and Kyrie who had 23, and then the Cavs got double digits from Jr and Tristan as well to to help put them over the top. But like now, clearly LeBron's momentum is going. Right. He feels he feels he has a chance again in this series, and he's he's telling his teammates the same thing. He's like, yo, like we are we we're there. Like this after that, that game five gave us life they went back home one game six exactly. as they should have protected home court
1: and it's game and seven the and they kind of road mapped it out it reminded me too um there the 2004 um red sox team who was down 3-0 mm-hmm. to the yankees so I, I don't know there's a 30 for 30 about them and there's a kevin millar part where he's talking to a reporter from the boston globe and they're down 3-0 and he's like hey don't let us get don't let us get this one, because if we get this one, we got, we got Petey, Pedro Martinez on the mound game five. We got Schill, Kurt Schilling game six, and then game seven, anything can happen. And then that's kind of what yep. the Cavs did here, right? They're like, hey, yep. don't let us get game five, because if we get game yep. five, then we're going back to Cleveland for game six. And then game seven, we've got the best player in the world. So they kind of yep. road mapped it, road mapped it out.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I still want to at this point. So we're, we're at game six at this point. We still have not had a game decided by the less than double yep, digits. Yep. So like the teams that were winning in these games were winning them handedly. So like you could clearly see whose uh, you know, game plans and things like that were working from game to game because uh, it, it wasn't even close. It it was really like whoever executed their game plans better was coming out with these wins, yep. and it wasn't really even close. Yeah. And then game seven yeah. was end all
1: So weird thing, though, um, and we are now almost an hour into the podcast, and we have not talked about the game that we were supposed to be <laughs> talking about. So we're going to get into that. But I just want to say, like, all these games, right, one through six, they're all – Decided by double digits. Going into Game 7, though, weirdly enough, they had the same total points um, through six games. So, that's, I mean, they weren't close games, but they were doing it handily to each other. Um, So, it was interesting. So, okay, you want to take us into Game 7, then?
0: Yep. So, Game 7, you know, one of the greatest games in NBA history. And I also want to point out for people that say they don't play defense in the nba anymore this game was 93 to 89 yep and one of the most defensive games uh you know that we've seen in, in quite a long time so teams will still play defense when they absolutely need to uh, and these are two teams that were highlighted by their offensive efficiency yeah. and but when it came down to it last game you know for all the marbles uh, it was a defensive showdown both teams shot the ball pretty bad uh, Golden State shot 38% uh, from the field, and uh, Cleveland shot 40% from the field in total. So it was kind of an ugly game, but, it, but also a beautiful game to watch from that perspective. Um, you know, because it was, it was two teams truly out there laying it down on the line. Um, and the, going into this game, the Warriors actually made a change because uh, the previous two games without Bogut, or I'm sorry, the previous game without Bogut, they. Uh, went with the small ball lineup uh, with Draymond at the five uh, and they started Andre Wadala. Um, and in this game, uh, Andre Wadala went back to the bench and Festus Azili started in place for him. And that kind of goes to show like the impact that losing Bogut had uh, because for two games they had to, p- they really played without any rim protection, uh, you know, cause I don't believe, I can't remember if Azili started game five or not, but, um, you know, they were without their rim protection, and I think they really wanted to get that back in game seven, so they went with a similar lineup, but they subbed in Azealy for Bogut. Um, and he, he ends up playing 10 minutes and did absolutely nothing with his 10 minutes. So, it, it I wouldn't say it backfired because they got him off the four pretty quickly. Um, but he was in, it wasn't really... in
1: in Crunch minutes. so I rewatched it, I didn't realize it. I mean, fourth quarter, he was in there, um, I think from like the from like the 8 to 4 minute or I think he came out the last time with like 7 minutes to go so I think he started the fourth mm-hmm. he played 5 minutes in the fourth quarter I think that uh that's one of the regrets I think Kerr might have I think he should have yanked him earlier though he was bad
0: yeah and and he he started the game awful he had that like awful missed dunk mm-hmm. in the first quarter um, and then he was bad in the fourth as well um, and like you said I think Kerr got him off the floor in time, um, but probably shouldn't have even played him at all in the fourth at that, after, after seeing how he came out in the beginning of the game, I think that stage was just way too big for Mm -hmm. him. And honestly, he hasn't been relevant since he got a decent contract, I think from the Blazers afterwards, but hasn't been uh, relevant since then. So like, you know, it, it, I, think, I see what he was trying to do with, with trying to throw Azalea yeah. in there, but I think he probably should have stayed with his best five guys at that point and, and went with – but remember, Iggy was also nursing an injury coming into that game. Um, even though he, he did end up playing close to 40 minutes, uh, he, he was banged up. So that could have also factored into you know why he might not have started him going into that game. Uh, but then he kind of – I guess he just kind of sucked it up and he ended up playing most of the game but plus harrison barnes again was awful three for ten in this game
1: well that's Um, clay weren't good that's like one thing i was gonna say too about festus like it was game seven of the nba finals so everyone on the court was nervous like the way this game started the first you know really seven eight minutes was really tough to watch from all guys curry lebron included like it was not an easy watch like you could tell they were nervous, and you could tell there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. And
0: yeah, like Curry hit the backboard yeah. a couple mm-hmm. of times on his first few shots, and, and they were they were wild shots. And like, and not that he doesn't hit wild shots, but like for him to be taking those like in the first quarter was like, dude, you're not even in a rhythm right. yet. And they were like clearly like four shots. I don't know if he was like trying to get himself going by hitting some cra- something crazy, but like yeah, he had a couple of like really bad misses to start the game. Um, LeBron looked a little like. I don't want to say, like, awkward, but, like, you know what I mean? He was was kind of
1: shaky. Like, he had, in the first quarter alone, like, he had, like, three pretty bad turnovers. And then um, he wasn't really playing well. Like I said, he had those three bad turnovers. He threw some passes away. And then there was one play where um, a pass gets thrown to him. Curry almost intercepts it, but it, like, kind of goes through his hands. It goes to LeBron, and he doesn't even take a dribble. He just goes two steps and dunks it like he he's pretty much 12 feet in the air and he dunks it and then from that point on he had it turned on but until then he was he looked shaky just like everybody else
0: right yeah so um and and honestly that kind of contributed to the defensive game that it ended up being because um i you know there was a lot of like there was a lot of like nervousness and things like that on the offensive end so um, that's where you can kind of see why the game was so low scoring, um, and you know as the game went on, it it was it was a it was back and forth the entire time. Like it's it was one of those games where you were really just waiting for something yeah. to give, uh, and it and it never nothing ever really gave. It was just you know two teams going at it, um, and and in my opinion, like the best player on the floor for this entire game was Draymond Great. Green, like including like I know Kyrie and like. And, and LeBron ended up having a very good game um, as well with 27, 11, and 11.
1: Oh, 20, um, and 27, Kyrie, uh, 27, 11, 11. That was the only – this is this is a random fact that I think you're going to like. Uh, 27, 11, 11, only triple-double in Game 7 of the Finals history besides one other guy one time. And Draymond was one assist short. He actually finished 32, 15, and 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other right. guy has done that in the Game 7 NBA Finals. Do you want to take a guess? He's a guy that uh, you're very fond of his career. You love his work.
0: Game seven of an NBA Finals triple. Is it Kobe? Jerry West.
1: Can't Jerry West.
0: <laughs> oh Jerry West, of course. Was that was that in a loss? Was that yeah, the one it was he Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And did he win finals MVP so. that year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So, so I just wanted to throw that. Out. I know that's your boy. Of I know that's your boy, Jerry West. So, um, but to to, to to piggyback on Draymond, like he pretty much carried them in the first half. Um, he he went. He yeah. started five for five from three. So like, you know, you've watched Draymond in his career. He's one who's been criticized for his ability to shoot um, and open shots. Mm-hmm. He's not always willing to shoot them, but like, he came out firing and he was hitting five of five to start. And the Warriors were up by 7 at half. But they really could have been up by a lot more. I think that they missed an opportunity to go into the half up by 10 or 15. So, like, they were 10 of 21 from 3 in the first half, which is not that bad. I mean, it's below 50%, but it's pretty close. But Draymond was 5 of 5. So everyone else was 5 of 16. Like, if, if Curry or Clay is even close to their normal selves they could have been up by 12 or 15 going into the half and I think it's an entirely different game
0: yeah for for sure and you know I and I think that's all ultimately what ended up holding them back is that they they never got either of those guys going like just one of them I think if you get one of those guys going at any stretch of the game I think it, they they probably like pull away at some point um, and it just never happened. The Cavs, I think, did a great job on them, um, you know, defensively and, and forced them into a lot of tough shots that maybe they hit at times. But like, if normally they hit those shots when they're already in a rhythm, um, and I, they, I don't think they ever really were able to get into a rhythm. And that was like for the most part of the series, they struggled to get into a rhythm, um, and it. It ultimately ended up being their downfall. Yeah. So
1: Curry finished four of 14 from three. Clay finished two of 10 from three. So like, not great from the Splash Brothers. Like Curry, it was a rough. You know, Clay, it was a rough game too. I think you know Curry was the back-to-back MVP. I think we were expecting more. But yeah, it was rough. It was rough for him. It was rough for everybody. But you know, it was rewatching it. It was. Not, certainly not his best performance. I think it was pretty noticeable. Right. So, you know, and then, you know, the fourth quarter of
0: this game um, and down the stretch is really, like, where things got interesting because you were just waiting for someone to either take this game mm-hmm. over or, you know, some, you were waiting for one of these teams uh, to somehow find a way to pull away with it. Um, and I think, like, down the stretch – is where um, the Le- like LeBron's spe- experience specifically, um, and then the um, just the the cold bloodedness of Kyrie um, is what ended up winning them this game. But like for for a couple of minutes, like down the stretch before that Kyrie shot, both teams were struggling. Yeah, oh yeah for sure. Uh, there it was. It was like four straight possessions of missed shots well, from both here here teams.
1: I can um I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll read it out here so what so this is this is kind of how it went so it was 86 87 with five minutes to go LeBron makes a three to make yep. it 8987 then clay makes a layup to make it 89 89 with four minutes and 40 seconds to go okay so it's 8989 with four and a half minutes to go the game finishes 93-89. Okay, so so yeah. after the clay, we have LeBron miss jumper, Curry miss three, LeBron missed like a like a running hook, um, Clay misses a 15-footer, and then um, LeBron gets blocked on a layup. Iguodala misses a three like bricks a three. Kevin Love misses a hook shot. Draymond misses a three. Kyrie misses like a little runner. Um, and then after Kyrie misses the runners, when we have the, the LeBron block, um, and then yeah. after the LeBron block, which we'll talk about more in a second, um, Curry missed the three, and then Cavs call timeout, and then that's when they, they clear out and they get the switch and, and Kyrie hits the shot. But for four minutes there, nothing. Just brick after brick after brick. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, it was a struggle there.
0: And... And the crazy thing is, when um, is that timeout? Yeah. I think that timeout. Well, first Lebron Lebron's block gave the Cavs some kind of momentum. Like, just there was, they needed something to happen uh, where there was a momentum shift. That block was huge because that layup was going to break that. You know, f- you know, uh, how long was it at that point? Two two minute deadlock yeah. or mm-hmm. however long they had had that deadlock. LeBron's block finally, uh, or that layup would have finally broken that, and I think that would have also, you know, changed that game because you know the Cavs were were not doing a good job offensively. But LeBron gets that block, Cavs get a little bit of momentum, and of course, like they don't score off of it, and and Curry misses after that. But then Tyloo is the first of those two coaches to take a timeout. Yeah. Now, Kerr is a is a firm believer because he played under Phil Jackson and. Greg Popovich, who are guys who uh, their their philosophies are always to, like, play through it, right? Not They don't want to call timeouts to to get their teams back on track. But I think in this case, in, in a game of this magnitude, a timeout yeah. needed to be called with how ugly that game was. Because it wasn't even, like... I, I understand teams, like, when you're going on a run and you're kind of making your players, like, play through it to respond to it. That, in, in some cases, makes sense. But neither team was going on a run here. It was just like four minutes of bad basketball and Ty timeout, I think gave them an opportunity to Mm -hmm. regroup. They came in the huddle. They said, all right, well, what's we need a bucket. What can we, what can we go to? What's the matchup that we want in order to get a good look here? And, you know, obviously they went to, uh, they wanted to attack Curry, which is what like every team in the playoffs does, um, is attack Curry. And like if you if you really look at the shot that Kyrie ends up hitting, like Curry didn't yeah, he play great defense. defense. He almost blocked it. Yeah, and like he, like he didn't, you know, Kyrie didn't like put him on skates. But like, um, you know, a, a former trainer of mine always used to tell me, you can tell a pro uh, when when you're on the court with a pro because when they get to their spot, there's literally nothing mm. you can do. And Kyrie has proven this even after that shot that when he gets to that right wing. And he gets that sidestep and creates enough space to lift up into that shot. There's nothing you can do. He did it again a couple months after in uh, and hit a big shot for Team USA. Um, I saw him do it like earlier this year in Brooklyn. Just go that right wing, pat pat step shot. And it doesn't even matter how good of defense you play, unless you like block, unless you block it, or you know what I mean, whatever. When he gets to that, like nine times out of ten, he's gonna knock it down because. You know, and when he really gets like his comfort, and he's in his zone, and he's comfortable, he's going to knock that down because there's all- there's nothing. Yeah, and I
1: it. noticed on the on the uh, rewatch, I noticed I didn't catch it lot when I watched it live, but on the rewatch, I noticed there was a play in the I think it was the second quarter. No, it was the third quarter because they're on the same side of the quarter. It was the third quarter where it was the same switch. Curry was out on Kyrie. They were on that same um, right wing, and Kyrie he actually crossed back left but curry knew it was coming and he kind of jumped it and actually led to like a turnover. So then this time it was mm-hmm. interesting to see Kyrie. He he, he must have remembered it or maybe he didn't, but he it looks like he did because he kind of did like a he almost did like an in and out dribble and stayed with the right and then he just mm-hmm. did that step back. But it was good defense yep. by Curry, but that's the thing about Kyrie, right? That's why he's going to always yep. get max steals. That's why teams are always going to take no matter what he does in the locker room, no matter how he's detrimental in Boston uh, to the young guys, or no matter he thinks the earth is flat or whatever crazy stuff he's saying, like <laughs> teams are going to take chances on it because he can get those kind of shots off. He, you know, he outplayed Steph Curry in these finals, the back-to-back MVP. He, he outplayed yeah. him in these finals, and it's hard yeah. to to reconcile them breaking LeBron and Kyrie up after that shot cuz i really think yeah. and you know Kyrie obviously wanted out he wanted to go be a leader somewhere but it does make you wonder like if he keeps growing with lebron you know that's another we, we can do these hypotheticals for days with this series but like oh, they, you know i just wonder right. how they would have been because and lebron recognized it with Kyrie right like he was in the huddle mm-hmm. and he said like we need to get Kyrie switched on curry like and that's the thing and they embodied yep. it to Kyrie, they, JR set the s- screen and they just switched and they knew they had it then. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and the block too, just to, just to go back to that for a second, because I don't think we should gloss over the block. That was a big thing. Probably if, you know, LeBron is going to obviously get a statue in Cleveland one day. Um, the, the question is, mm-hmm. what will it be of? I think the block has a strong case for it. Um, if it's not,
0: if it's not the block, it's not going to be the best statue it could possibly be. Yeah, yeah. It has to be. Yeah, the block. I think it's the block too. And and honestly, like I think that block kind of like stamped LeBron's legacy because when you think about it, like when people talk about LeBron's legacy, what do they always say? He's the best all-around mm-hmm. player to ever play the game, right? Which you know includes his defense because he's so versatile. Like you know, LeBron fans are like yeah. he can guard yeah. every position, stuff like that, which yeah. is which is true. And, and arguably the most clutch play of his career was, was that block. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's not a it's not a game winning it's not a game winning shot. You know it's not. And as far as NBA Finals career goes, I should say I should clarify. Like it wasn't it it wasn't a game winning shot or anything like you know like Jordan has like you know when you think of Jordan's biggest moment it's the, probably the shot against the Jazz. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. For LeBron. It's this incredible block that, that could have possibly saved them a game because, you know, at that point it was like whoever broke that 89-89 deadlock was probably going to mm-hmm. win that game because was, because of how much they struggled to score. Uh, and if the Warriors had done it first, who knows if the Cavs, you know, recovered that. Who knows if Kyrie knocks that shot down, down two rather than it being tied because that's, that's a whole different, you know, level mm-hmm. of pressure, you know, when what uh trying to hit a three, a contested three down two to give your team the lead, or does he even take that shot? Do you try to tie it up? You know what I mean? Like there's that how the Cavs try to play that after if if the Warriors score is probably different. Um so yeah, I think like that I think that block is probably the biggest play of of LeBron's career. Um and it's a defensive play, which is just so so yeah, I'm crazy sure he loves that about.
1: Well, yeah. and Iguodala, like he could have... I, I actually believe that Iguodala could have got that layup off. If you, if you watch the replay, he actually he brings it down. He, he goes up and he brings it down, and then he goes back up with it. Mm-hmm. And I think... and Whatever, this is speculation. But a few... Not even a minute before this, Iguodala got fouled. He went to the line He missed both free throws, right? So so my, think, mm-hmm. my thought is... This is more of a conspiracy theory than a fact. But I think that J.R. Smith came up... Iguodala was trying to avoid the foul, right? He's trying to avoid contact. Brings yep. the ball down, then goes back up, and then LeBron goes up, and when he blocks it, if you watch the replay too, he actually touches the rim with his left hand, which you could yeah, argue yep. could be potentially goaltending. But goal-tending. I, I don't know because if, if he blocks it first, I don't know the exact rule how that would work. How that would work. Um, right. So the block obviously, obviously is huge, and then Kyrie. He's gonna go down in history for that shot. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and then
0: after the shot, like remember that like that shot wasn't right. like a buzzer beater. It was there was fifty three seconds still left on the clock, uh, but I think because like we said, whoever broke the deadlock gave themselves a huge advantage because I think the Warriors went into shock after that. And again, like no timeout from from Kerr. He doesn't. He still doesn't call a timeout, and they come down and Curry gets Kevin Love switched on to him. And if you watch this possession, because like everybody gives Kevin Love so much credit for locking step up here, but if you watch him, like the first two moves he, he made, he could have right gone by Kevin Love. Yeah, like he, he got him off balance and had dro- had a driving lane to drive. But I think because like they were they were clearly shocked by that shot. And he was trying to answer with a three. It was clear. He didn't want to go to the basket, but he didn't need to. There's still 53 seconds on the clock. But he spent 22 mm-hmm. seconds dribbling before he hoisted up an awful shot attempt against against Kevin Love. who You know what I mean? And then at that point, it's it's a free throw game because now mm-hmm. you have to foul. Down, I mean, kind of. You, you pretty much have to foul and, at that
1: um, point. That Curry um, possession on Love, like, I think Curry should have called timeout. So, Kerr's sitting on... So, Kyrie hits the shot, 53 seconds, like you said. is sitting on two timeouts. Right. Okay? So, then... Yes. He, Curry comes down. They get the switch, right? So, Love is switched onto Curry. Curry, after he gets the switch, passes it to Draymond. Draymond's like, no, like, he gives it right back. He says, Go ahead. you have the switch. Like, do something. And Curry hasn't beat. He could've went right by him, but he wanted the three for whatever reason. I think Curry... You know, I think Curry should have called the timeout immediately after the shot. But then, even if you don't, like as soon as yeah. Curry gets the switch and passes it, and then because even when he passed it and then Draymond passes it back, like they weren't clean passes. They kind of were fumbled a little bit, and then Curry gets mm-hmm. it back. I think I maybe would still call a timeout there and just just tell my guys like, hey, we only right. need a, we need a quick two, we don't need a, we don't need a three. Yeah. Like that's that's pretty much basketball one on one, right? Like don't. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. they played it differently because they were so good at shooting threes, and that's how they played. But I'm pretty sure, like, I, I'm sure you could speak better to this than me even too, but I was raised, if you have time, go get the quick two, then we can foul, then hopefully they miss a free throw, we can get another two instead of forcing the three. And then if you miss it, you're screwed, which is pretty much exactly what happened here.
0: Right, and I, I 100% agree with that. And I'll even, to magnify why they should have went for two, there's a shot clock right. in the NBA, so with fifty after uh, Kyrie hits that shot with fifty three seconds left, you know you factor in like however long it takes you to get the two. Even if it takes you the full twenty four seconds, the Cavs still would have had to play. They still wouldn't have needed to foul because there still right. would have been about about thirty seconds left. So there would have been a five five or six second difference between shot clock and game clock. Where if you get a stop, even if the Cavs wind the clock all the way down, you get a stop, or even if they score, you still have five or six mm-hmm. seconds left to then call timeout and either go for the two or go for the three, depending on what the Cavs did in that offensive possession. So no, they absolutely didn't have to go for three and it didn't really make sense for Curry to to hoist that up. But you know, so when you think about a little bit of psychology here, you know, he just had a huge three yeah, hit in his face. And right, coming down the court, he he either wants the match or, like, because that deadlock was happening so long, he's, like, discombobulated and shell-shocked. Like, oh, my God, like, wow, someone finally broke this deadlock and it's in, like, a close game. I don't think he was thinking about the time. I don't think he was thinking about the situation and the fact that they didn't have to go for three. You know what I mean? I think because I think he just came down the court and was determined to get a three. You know what I mean? I think because they were so shell-shocked, I think he was just that shell-shocked by that shot. And that's why Kerr should have called a timeout. I think, because even if you don't call it in transition, I agree, I, maybe I don't call it in transition. Say, hey, let's see if we can get something while they're trying to get set and celebrating the shot. Okay, they don't get anything. But like you said, when he passes the Draymond and, and the pass comes back and it's looking a little iffy, I'm taking a timeout and saying, hey, yeah. let's get regrouped. We. We don't need a three. If you have it, take it. But right now, let's try to get something going to the rim, maybe get it and maybe you get a driving kick and you get a wide open three. You know what I mean? Because that's the kind of three you'd want in that situation if you're gonna take one. But that's the time to sit them down, draw up a set, tell everybody your, you know, how many timeouts you have left, what you want to try to get out of possession, and then what to do after that mm-hmm. possession as well. So, and I think Steve Kerr's failure to call that time, call a timeout then is even worse than before, like, you know, before um, Ty Lue had taken the timeout for the Cavs uh, before the Kyrie shot. Because I thought, I thought Kerr should have, should have taken the timeout then, but, but, you know, Ty Lue, obviously he was on it and. You know, it worked out so it was a little bit of coaching oh, as definitely. well down the stretch I think Kerr, that's
1: opinion, gotta be a huge that's that that gotta be a canceling. huge regret, of course. Probably his biggest of this game is not taking the time out. Like you know, it's the NBA finals right. and, and not only that, like you mentioned the, the deadlock, your guys have to be so exhausted, like mentally and physically, they would be so yeah. just drained from everything that's happened, from the deadlock, LeBron's block, Kyrie hits the shot, like just take the time out and regroup, okay, yeah. like I know this is you know this yeah, is a team yep. who won a championship, but it's not like they were all 10-year vets either. Like, you know, regroup with these yeah. guys. I think that that's okay to do because not only um, did they get the bad shot, but then like you said, you don't plan for what comes next, and then you know, Cavs get the rebound. Kyrie kind of inexplicably goes down and tries to score, and then they get it back, um, and then they kick it out to LeBron. LeBron has the ball with like 20 seconds left. The shot clock is at 10, and then Harrison Barnes fouls him intentionally. And and that's another thing where you're like, well, you really didn't have to foul there. Like, you could just play it foul. out. You've already ran off 13 seconds from the shot clock. Just play out the rest of it, right? and then, you know, see what happens. So then they don't do that. Um, they, they do foul, but they had a foul to give. They inbound the ball the Cavs inbound the ball all the way to the backcourt then. And then Kyrie just takes clay off the dribble and he goes all the way to the hoop and then LeBron just cuts and, and Kyrie hits some cutting and LeBron decided that this was the time to have the dunk of his entire life. He just goes up and, and he cocks it and he tries to dunk on Draymond. Draymond fouls him. LeBron misses the dunk but then he goes down and then he, it's like he broke it like he was holding his wrist. I thought he broke his wrist. Like he was on the yeah, ground same. holding his wrist, and then if, and then if he's hurt, on you know unintended consequence if he's hurt, the Warriors get to pick the foul shooter, right? Yeah. They're only up. He, he can't come, come, back, come back, back in. The Warriors are only up. Th- I mean the the Cavs are only up three. So if they pick a terrible foul shooter, and he misses both. This is still a game, and um, yep. you know, in typical LeBron fashion, he rolled around on the ground for forty five seconds, and then. It turns out his wrist uh, magically was not broken, and he shot the he shot the foul shots, but yeah. he missed the first, and then the pressure was on, and then he rattled in the the second one, and then that kind of wrapped it up. Huh? Yeah, right. So,
0: um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he shoot one of those? Like, no, last no, 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 no. I don't think so. No, that I think that was that, that was a different previous, series. Yeah. That was yeah, yeah, A couple yeah. Of mm-hmm. years back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. So um. So yeah. So. And honestly, and I can kind of see why he went for the dump because, like, game's over at that point. You know, that, that would have been crushing if he finishes that. But, you know, at that point, he you, he knocks down, you know, one and two free throws, makes it a four-point game. Um, and, and the you know, obviously the Warriors don't hit the three that they need to tie um, at that point. So, yeah, I mean, that's all in all game seven. And obviously what happens after that um, – you know, in the in that all, in the all season following was a dramatic shift in the NBA. I wish we had gotten one more mm-hmm. from these two teams, like to settle it all. You know what I mean? So that way, there's no oh, you know, Kyrie and Kevin Love were hurt. Oh, Draymond got suspended. Just like and maybe obviously, you know, I've, and no Bogut injury. You know what I mean? There's not. Maybe we sure. get one more series, and maybe maybe somehow we're lucky enough to have everybody healthy yeah. and no one suspended. Uh, you know, and and we get a full those two teams. I, I would
1: um, I, I want I would want that too, but also, just part of the beauty of the NBA playoffs and even the NFL playoffs, like it really is like a battle, right? Like you've reached this far, like what yeah. guys are left? Okay, you know, you, you, this guy's yeah. out, this guy's out. You just kind of got to piece it together because um, uh, yeah. Pat Riley, Pat Riley had a quote that I read one time and. He said, "In the playoffs, you you play eight and you trust seven, Well, Game Seven is more like <laughs> play seven trust six. Well, really, the Warriors only had like four this this game because um, Barnes was terrible, right. Azili was terrible, Livingston was okay off the bench, but I, I certainly don't think they trusted him um, in the in the moment. And then the right. Cavs, the Cavs had LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love. Who, Kevin Love had a bad series too." Uh, game 1 and Game 2 were okay, and then three, four, five, six, he pretty much disappeared. And then Game 7, he played well. Yeah. Richard Jefferson off the bench. 25 minutes off the bench for uh, old man Richard Jefferson, and he played really well. He was, you know, one of the most important yeah. pieces in this game. Because um, he was – I mean, Schumpert was off the bench too. He he did some things. He had a big four-point play at one point. Um, Jr. hit a couple big shots. Um, but I think this was – for me, the game of the decade, game of the game of the two thousand and tens, for sure. Which is which is crazy when we the game we
0: talked about earlier with the right. Ray Allen shot is also well, that's in that second. Same right, decade. I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, that's at second, and who would have at that time? Who would have thought there would ever be a mm-hmm. game after that that would that would match it or, or be on? Well, that even level?
1: I think that game was probably um, a better. Okay. Like if this, you know, if you ignore all of the circumstances of it, of everything it means and all the hypotheticals we talked about and everything else, I think game six in in 2013 was probably just a better basketball game. But I think with everything around this game, all of the storylines, all of the the future implications, and then all of the big moments, uh, I I think this has to be certainly the most important game and probably the best game of the decade. Agreed. So, yeah, so that's game seven
0: of the 2016 NBA Finals. Uh, and, you know, again, um, you know, this is something that uh, for the podcast, you know, we plan on doing going forward. Maybe we should do. Uh, yeah, not game a bad six idea. For the next one. Who knows? Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so, you know, guys, stay tuned. We'll, we'll be doing another episode like this in the future uh, for us to kind of review and talk about. Um, and you know let us know what you think about it again thank you everybody for tuning in we appreciate everybody who um has shown love to the podcast everybody who downloads subscribes leaves ratings uh things like that we appreciate you guys going all in for the podcast mike yeah uh, this was really
1: fun i'm glad that we kind of adopted this this idea that we've seen other places um definitely let us know what you think let us know what games that you guys would like to hear us talk about if there's a a game that you think should be mentioned in those you know one of the best games of the decade or you think it was a really important game let us know we'll be happy to uh maybe talk about it on the podcast and we've got big news coming that uh we're getting excited to share uh some other things me and eli are working on um, we'll keep that quiet for now but announcements are coming we appreciate all the love that we've gotten so far and uh Keep going with us, guys. We're in this for the long haul, so we hope you guys are, too. Keep listening to us. Um, we definitely appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So go ahead and uh, you know subscribe on whichever platform you listen, either Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of the other platforms. Um, leave ratings if you, you know have the time and reviews as well. Um, and, again, thank you guys for tuning in. Episode 7 in the books. Have a great day.